Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm sitting here with Bree Walta. So, Bree, I like to start by saying, talk about where we met. I think I met you at like a Coppola meeting um, <laughs> or at one of your therapist socials that you've done for North Star Transitions. Uh-huh. Likely, yeah. <laughs> one of, I don't remember the exact moment, but that sounds about right. One of those, yeah. In the Boulder community, Bree is like a huge connector. She works for a uh, you know inpatient treatment, well, not inpatient, uh, IOP treatment center. And it's just like, I feel like you know everybody, you know? I, I make friends pretty easily. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and been in the field for, uh, gosh, like six or seven years now. Yeah. I'm excited to uh, talk to you about this topic because, you know, you said you're going through something intense right now. And you've also talked about a spiritual journey. And our listeners have been clamoring to hear more topics on spirituality and on kind of like esoteric um occult things. So I think it's going to be a great fit for the show. Um, but let's start with your from the ashes story, you know, a story where, you know, you failed, you're, you got kicked down, you got knocked down, and you have to come back up stronger. What would you like to share with our listeners today? Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about because it's not like kind of one specific situation. Um, and it's more of kind of been the struggle, right over like a period of time when I you know, from the childhood where a lot of our stuff kind of starts into understanding what that was and moving through. And, and um, it's really been sort of a struggle with control that I'm able to see now, but wasn't able to sort of piece together as it was happening. Um, but I, I'm in recovery from an eating disorder and uh, a big piece of, you know, sort of the impetus of that was trying to have control over something. Um, and that's sort of how it manifested where it was, it was total focus on trying to change and control what I felt like I could when a lot of things in my world felt very chaotic. Um, so just growing up sort of in my family system, I grew up, uh, with parents who were amazing and wonderful and wanted, you know, the best for us and wanted us to be a family unit, um, and struggled in their relationship, um, and so they were together and, you know, on again, off again, uh, like six or seven times um, throughout Whoa. my, yeah, throughout my childhood, adolescence and into, into some college years. Um, and sort of in my adolescent years onward, I also, you know, experienced addiction in my family as well. And so it was sort of a chaotic environment. <laughs> it was... It was something that yeah, I didn't really know differently um, and didn't really understand how the chaos was affecting me and how I was, you know, internalizing my, my safety, my, um, my need for sort of numbing my own emotions to take care of other things. Um, and really at the fault of, you know, nobody, I just sort of assumed 
this role of taker. Um, and a lot of, a lot of my codependence started at a pretty young age. Um, you know, feeling like everyone's problems were my problems and having to take care of people and um, sort of really losing touch with myself is what it, what it was. Um, it was, it was a period of years where I was pretty numb to my emotions or my needs. Um, and like really without ever being told that there, like nobody ever told me there wasn't space for me or space for my needs or wants or emotions, but I just intuited that there was always so much going on, um, between either my parents or my mom went through a variety of health issues uh, throughout the years as well. And, um, with the addiction and it was just like, it was just a lot everyone was handling. Um, so I was like, Oh, well, I'll just be here in the background. Like I'm not, you know, don't have sort of the same, you don't have to take care of me in the way that um, everybody else needed. So, um, I didn't really like growing up have, I didn't really branch out. I didn't really have like a rebellious stage of life. I was pretty reserved and pretty like, honestly afraid of, <laughs> of anything I couldn't expect or control. Um, so I found just sort of synchronously uh, modeling when I was 15. And it was something that I know my parents wanted me to explore because I had interest in it and they thought it was going to be like a good way to build confidence or, you know, they had good intentions of helping me sort of get into that. Um, and it was sort of at, you know, it was a, it was a combination of the perfect storm of having the external validation, you know, really needing to seek that worthiness from, from other people or getting jobs or making money, um, and then being able to control my body. Um, and that's where the eating disorder really sort of took root and started to, to take over. Um, because I hadn't realized, I guess, before, this job, right, of needing to be a certain size or look a certain way, um, that that was something that was important or valued in a way that could make, it was like my entire self-esteem was wrapped in like getting a job, right? Um, and I was really good at controlling my food and my exercise because I'm also very type A and like uh, structured and like rules and, you know, it just, it all sort of aligned very, very perfectly. Um, in that way. And, you know, eating disorders are an addiction um, in similar and different ways from drugs and alcohol. But what they both do is really distract you from your feelings, from having to sit with what's uncomfortable, um, having to use any sort of mental capacity for anything other than seeking, right? It was, it was when am I going to get so to? True. Yeah. It's so much energy. Like I think about it now and I'm like, I don't know how I graduated college. Like, I, like, and I got really good grades through, through college too. And I'm like, not only from a, a physiological level, like my brain wasn't probably being fed well. Um, but just the amount of time it took to, to plan meals or plan like outings around the meal or plan the four hours of exercise I needed to do or whatever it was, it was just like, it was so much distraction. Um, and I was in such denial of anything. Um, I didn't, 
I think because I started modeling at a younger age, I spent a good period of time around other women who were doing the same thing. And not, not that every one of them had an eating disorder, but there were definitely unhealthy behaviors that were being, um, you know, sort of bragged about or spread around, or you would learn things from the girls you're with. And, you know, at castings and at jobs, you're around these six foot tall, like 120 pound girls. And that's what you're comparing yourself to. Like it's, it's sort of a skewed measure of, um, of reality. It was a, very interesting, very interesting way to, what to be comparing yourself um, to. And the distraction was, it was great. I mean, it was, I can see it now as a distraction from sort of the childhood things, the family things, going through the um, relationship with the person who had the addiction. And um, I was, I was in denial that I even had any trauma in my past. I, when I graduated college, um, I moved back down to Denver. I went to college at CSU and, um, actually I found my therapist sort of as I got into this field at a networking event. Um, and I saw her from across the room and I was like, I don't, I need to know you like in a personal, like I need you in my life. Um, and at the time I was going through this weird breakup with this on again, off again guy in college. And, um, that's what got me into therapy. I was like, maybe she can help me, you know, get over this or whatever. And then I get in there and we start, I start talking about the childhood and, and everything. I was like, yeah, but it wasn't, it wasn't bad. You know, my parents loved me. I grew up with means, you know, I went to college. It was like on paper, right. It looked fine. And she's like, (laughs) she just looks at me and she was like, that's pretty traumatic. And I was like, no, no, like I I was categorizing trauma as like, you know, um, like PTSD, like being in combat or like, I think it's a common misconception of people thinking that their experiences aren't as bad, right? Because I didn't see someone die or I didn't get sexually assaulted, you know, or, or whatever the category is that you're sort of putting on that. Um, but I was in denial a long time that that was that going through those experiences um, affected me on some level and, and that I was so detached from my body, like living. I think this is common in addiction too, is we spend a lot of time in our head and not dropping into our body and, you know, how we're feeling or (laughs) like connecting, connecting anything. It's just all like running in a machine that's, that's in our brains. Um, a lot of rationalizing, a lot of, for me, I'm a very analytical person anyway. So I understand, I want to understand the why of things and the very left brained side of things. Um, and so I didn't actually recognize that anything was wrong with being so disconnected from my, my body. Um, and I spent a few years with that therapist. Um, and you know, we did some EMDR, we touched on the trauma and that was sort of my first entry into connecting into the body a little bit to, to sort of reprocess that stuff, which was very uncomfortable. Like mm-hmm. the first, the first experience was something like that where she's like, close your eyes and, you know, feel into your body. I was like, what? No, 
can't we just talk about it? I would, I would, I remember being in sessions and like trying to prolong the talking part of the session. So I didn't have to do <laughs> like, I could, I could rationalize, you know, up and down why I had the eating tendencies, why I was seeking the external validation. Like I understood it all from a very cognitive place. Um, and and that is helpful, right? That's helpful in a part of the journey is being able to understand so that you can get out of denial is a good part of that. Um, but I was still trying to control it. And I was still like in this very, um, like putting all of my energy and thinking I was controlling things by, you know, controlling the way I looked or controlling the, um, like, controlling how people perceive me or the validation or whatever. And that's like not things that you have control over. So I was spending all this energy and still feeling very, you know, anxious and overwhelmed and um, just frustrated, I guess, that things weren't really changing. Um, And then I was introduced to plant medicine um, and that experience working with ayahuasca, um, was a very humbling experience because you work in a ceremonial ceremonious fashion with this plant and you have to surrender all of your control. Like you, you drink it and you're like, I'm on the roller coaster for wherever we're going, you know? Um, and a lot of my experiences were super, uh, somatic. So I didn't have necessarily the visuals or get, you know, put into another world. Um, I felt everything in my body, which was so fucking uncomfortable, even more than like the EMDR was, but it was slowly helping me get into this um, interconnected place, right. Of understanding that like the healing needed to come from the mind and the body. And then it incorporated in the spiritual component also. Um, And it really like opened up this whole other world of, Oh, you can heal this way too. Like the talk therapy is important and this is also important. And like, it's sort of a multidimensional realm of of understanding those things. So that was sort of my um, journey, you know, very brief (laughs) version um, to kind of coming more out of denial and more in touch with my, my body and understanding how everything is working together. Yeah. Can you tell people a little bit about the history of ayahuasca, where it comes from, what the plant is? Um, I'm sure some people are familiar with it, but I don't know if all of our listeners are. Yeah. So uh, the majority it's, it's a, it's grown in the jungle. So a lot of people are traveling to Peru um, to do, to do ayahuasca. Um, and the tribes down there that have been working with it, uh, I worked with the Shipibo tribe, um, and they, you know, have been pouring this medicine for generations. So actually the, the shamans that we worked with, um, it was like a whole, it was a grandmother, a mother and her sons that were, that were there working with us. Um, and so it's a very revered and respected, uh, plant medicine in that part of the world. Uh, and I think it's sort of catching on as this, uh, it's like a hot topic now of what people like on their bucket list type of thing. And it, 
like you really have to be very intentionally ready to work with this medicine and work with really um, reputable sources and shamans and people who know what they're doing because it it can be dangerous if it's um, given kind of in someone's basement sort of sort of thing. Um, and it's a combination of, of plants. So there is DMT. Um, I'm forgetting the name of the actual plant now that it's a part of, but it, it is a psychedelic in that there is DMT in the brew. So what they do is they crush up these vines and they uh, brew it like a tea and you drink it like a tea. So it's, it's um, psychoactive and, and usually works with helping people really expand their conscious awareness is, is sort of the, the very uh, broad surface level of what it is. Well, as we move into our break, I can't wait to hear more about what your experience was with it. Um, I'd love to hear, you know, what types of things you felt, what kind of insights you took from it. I think it's a wonderful thing to be talking about it. And of course, to educate people around, yeah, finding someone who does know what they're talking about, someone that does have a lineage um, and really honoring it because it is incredibly powerful um, and can be life-changing, as it sounds like it was for you. So for those of you listening, uh, hang in there. Uh, we'll catch you on the other side of the commercial break. We'll hear more about Bree and her ayahuasca journey. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit Mark dash azulay dot teachable dot com that's mark m-a-r-c dash azulay a-z-o-u-l-a-y dot teachable dot com become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay. And we're talking about shamanism and ayahuasca and this experience of having to relinquish control. 
Now I'll say to you, I think I talked to you about it a little before we before we prepped for this and for our listeners, I've never done ayahuasca. I've but I did do a too much amount of DMT, which I did make in my basement and lost my mind doing. So this is a particular interest that I get the chance to talk with a woman who has done it, you know, quote, like the right way, you know, um, <laughs> done in a way that is actually healing and, and supportive um, and has, has kind of had that experience. So uh, can you paint a picture for our audience, uh, perhaps what your first experience was like it? Uh, what did it feel like? What was the ritual or the, or the ceremony like? Um, yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. yeah. I also want to preface this story by saying, like, in college, be, because I had witnessed what addiction did, um, I didn't do drugs. Like, I had never done a psychedelic. I had never, you know, taken Molly, like anything. And I, I drank, and that was sort of the extent of, of what I did. So, um when I was there and they were like, you haven't, you have no frame of reference. I was like, no, they're like, you're kind of jumping in the deep end, you know, like without learning to swim. And I'm like, okay, well I'm here. So I guess we're, <laughs> guess we're doing it. Um, yeah. so they, they sort of talk about it as like the, a grand experience, right? That it's, you're, you're committing to something pretty intentionally when you sign up to do that. Um, so you can imagine me having no frame of reference and, Google searching is a bad idea for anybody looking to do ayahuasca. Just don't, don't do it because you're going to find the worst experiences um, or you're going to find the best experiences and then have expectations and both of them are not serving you. Um, so I went in, you know, of course, with a little bit of fear and some expectations of like wanting these grand visuals, right? Um, like this is going to be fun. Like, I'm going to see some pretty stuff and, you know, maybe work on some trauma or whatever, but it's going to be, I don't know. I, I think I underestimated sort of what it was going to feel like. Um, and letting go of control was already really hard. So this was the, the very beginning sort of, of, um, I had done some therapy around it, but it was still something that I wasn't really ready to let go of. Um, and so you, you are in a ceremony with, we had, um, gosh, I want to say there was like, five shamans. It was a, it was a family. It was a whole lineage that were pouring for us. And I was in a group of probably about 10 and we were in a circle kind of on, you know, comfortable mats and, um, pillows and stuff. And it's really a very internal experience. So you, you go up and they pray into the medicine, you set your intention um, and you drink it, which the first time tastes okay. Uh, it's not pleasant, but it, as you consecutively drink the nights that you're there, it, it, it tastes worse and worse. It, it's a very weird sort of phenomenon. Um, so you, you drink the medicine and then you go and sit on your mat and you really like, you put on your eye mask and you lay down. Like it's, you're not interacting with people. You're not trying to walk about the jungle or anything. Um, there's usually one or two facilitators that are, um, not drinking as much medicine. So they may take like a working dose is what they call it. Um, and those people help you get to the bathroom if you need to go to the bathroom or, um, it is a purgative medicine. So most people will vomit or have diarrhea. Like it's, it helps you cleanse. Um, and so the helpers also come around and, and help change out buckets. <laughs> so, so you that have you're a bucket not like, right there. Yeah. 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 Like a, you know, like a, like a, um, a yogurt container, you know, like a, 
a big, like a family size yogurt container. Oh, okay. That's not like a Home Depot, it. big orange bucket. No, <laughs> okay. no, no. Because the, um, the day of ceremony, you don't eat past lunch. Okay. Um, to help mitigate how much you're actually growing up and, and not everybody does. Right. And so <laughs> that was actually part of my experience where I was like, well, where, when is that coming? You know, again, with the expectations, um, but as far as the setup, there are a few people more sober, right, that are around to help. So it's not a completely like everyone is on their own type of situation. Um, and then throughout ceremony, the shamans are singing uh, what they call ikaros. And uh, it's their songs that they can tap into through the divine. They say it's divinely channeled. And the specific songs and frequency and um like and these songs are like 20 minutes long like they're they're not like a you know a pop song that you can kind of catch on to they're like it like a very comforting kind of ceremonial song and these people are singing for like six hours you're like you have to be divinely like fed through because how does one person you know do that um but the music plays with the medicine and so as the shamans are under the ayahuasca as well, they're able to see you on an energetic level. And so they would come up to us um, individually and they would sing specific ikros for us to help us purge or to help move some energy or um, help comfort. Like they kind of just knew what you needed. It, it, it was very bizarre. Like That's to what wild. That's really yeah. wild. Yeah. Do you yeah. have an example of, of that? Like what did they see in you? Yeah. Well, so we, I was there over a week and the first two ceremonies I hadn't purged at all and was having a really hard time letting go right of in every sense. Um, and so the third ceremony, the, the shaman was working with me individually and was singing to me and I felt it get like I was, I had been nauseous, but just nothing ever sort of actualized. Um, and the best way I can describe it is the song felt like he had stuck his hand like into my body and pulled it out of me. Like, mm. like it was, it was such a, um, a felt sense of that happening. And then what I had, what I actually purged felt like it was just like black tar. Like it was, everything was so, um, real feeling, even though consciously I knew that wasn't probably what, what it, what it was, you know? Um, but it wasn't until like he was singing to me. And then as he was singing, it was, it was happening, you know, faster and faster. And, um, and then afterwards it was, it was like my entire body was vibrating so, um, intensely that I couldn't feel it. Like I, I, I literally felt like bodiless, like I was floating there. And like, I, I remember looking down at my hands and seeing them being like really bright white and like really long fingers. And I was like, Oh my God, like I'm an energetic being. Like, <laughs> um, and just that, that understanding, right. Of how we, we are all energy and we forget that cause we're in this super dense plane. Um, but before I was able, like the first two ceremonies that I had, it was very, um, it was very somatic. So what happens for me is I was laying there for the first time, just waiting, you know, you're just sort of, it takes like 30, 45 minutes for the medicine to kick in. So you're kind of just laying there like, 
anticipating what's going to happen. Um, and then you start to hear people purging or you start to hear them crying or having some sort of experience. And I was still laying there like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> nothing's happening. Nothing's happening to me. And getting into this whole victim story and this whole like, you know, like familiar narrative. Um, and then I start to feel my shoulders moving. Like the best way to describe it is it felt like I was a puppet and that's that somebody was above me moving my shoulders and my arms without my like consent. Ooh, as another control <laughs> freak, that would, that would freak me out. Yeah. Yeah. Which is creepy. And I remember thinking that in the moment, I'm like, well, this is ironic <laughs> like, and not right. It's exactly what I needed to feel like. You're not actually in control of anything, you know? Um, but that it was, it's just a lot of sort of muscle, muscle movement, a lot of like, like wiggling and dancing and like muscles tightening and loosening and um, just having no control of what my body was doing and having very consistently that thought of like, Oh, I don't, I'm not in charge here. Like something else is, is doing this and not in a scary way. It was in a, it was actually a kind of a humorous way at first. Um, and then some of the, the clenching and the moving, like it would, a muscle would tighten for like 30 seconds, like pretty painfully. And then yeah. it would release. And then I would cry or I would like, like laugh or like some sort of other release would happen. Um, a lot of yawning, they talk about yawning um, and burping is also a purgative. So sometimes people, if you're not actually vomiting, you're just like yawning to the point where your, your jaw hurts because it's open so much. And like, you're trying to yawn so hard that you can't actually get in the, like the satisfying amount of breath that you want in that moment. Um, but it's all, it's all some sort of some sort of release, right? And sort of as you work with the, the medicine, even over the three nights that we were there, there were some similarities and some differences. So no experience is, is like exactly the same, which is also kind of hard for someone who like likes to plan things. Right, know what where to you expect. like, <laughs> you want to have the map, right? You want to have the model that you can relate to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was um, the first the first times because I've, I've done it a handful of times since then as well. But the first three uh, ceremonies that I had were, was just such an eye-opening understanding that there was something greater than me, first of all, that was like helping navigate this human experience. Um, and the control that I think I had, I was placing in, in places that, weren't beneficial. Um, and it really helped me start to tap into like, like the body being a really important piece of this healing too, especially cause I had abused my body. So, so much over the years, um, like when, when the puppeteering would stop or when the, um, the clenching muscle would release, there was so much gratitude and love that I felt for my body that I, that was foreign. You know, it was like, this is new. Like, <laughs> You can feel this for your body. Like, um, so it really, it helped, it helped start that relationship, I guess, with, with myself and my, my physical being. Right. So you learn to actually, it sounds like experience relaxation or even maybe pleasure, 
or joy within your body to be like, oh, it doesn't have to be so tight or tense or extreme all the time. Yeah, it was kind of like the magic that your body is. Like, even though it felt like it was being moved by an external, um, you know, greater spirit or, or they talk about ayahuasca being the grandmother. And so they, they say the grandmother's coming to visit you. And, and sometimes the grandmother brings you cookies and t- sometimes she like puts you in time out, you know, it's like, you know, you don't know what you're going to get. Right. But it was, um, it was just this understanding of like, I've put so much focus and attention on just how it looked my body, how my body looked and negated everything that it does or everything that it's like, like the beauty of what it is to be human and have and be able to go through these experiences. Yeah. That's so, I mean, I'm feeling kind of envious as you're talking. So like my experience with DMT was just was such the opposite. And I, you know, I wasn't yeah. doing ayahuasca. So I was doing like the like intense refined, like drug, more drug form yeah. of it. Right. That I like yeah. literally made in my basement. Right. Yeah. From a, a recipe that I got on the internet, you know, just like, <laughs> manufacturing everything you should not do (laughs) yeah i did everything you should not do right like manufacturing it with like yeah like this equipment we stole from like the chem lab of the college i went to like we like literally did breaking bad (laughs) i watched breaking bad and i was like yeah i could i could probably do that um (laughs) right and my i mean it was all visual but it was like confusing like i would be like having a lucid dream you know in the real world i was just like passed out and like drooling a lot of the time you know, sometimes I would puke like on myself, you know, there was yeah. definitely that. And, yeah. but in my mind, I was like flying through the cosmos and like talking to like old gods and like battling yeah. with like demons or like getting like up or getting like abducted, like ripped apart by like space alligators, right? I mean, it, it was just so like <laughs> unbelievably crazy that like, I don't think yeah. I got any messages from it, right? It just like, <laughs> just confused the yeah. hell out of me because I was like, is this real? Like what, what is this? And, and by and large, my trips were painful or scary or like mm-hmm. nauseous or like, it was not, there was no love. It was dark. I yeah. was dark and I was in a dark place in my life too. Like, which yeah. I think was, you know, certainly amplifying it, but it wasn't, it wasn't a grandmother. Let me put it that way. It like, it felt like I was going to hell. And because yeah. I was like a little punk, like metal kid, I thought that was tight. I thought that was so cool, even though it was scary, you know, I, yeah. I kept, I kept going back to the well. Yeah. I, well, I'm sure it's, it, it is different based on the, like, just straight DMT you were taking versus the, the, um, the plant. But I think the intention around it also makes a big difference, right? When you're intentionally going to a ceremony to do healing, um, like you're looking for messages and you're more aware and you're wanting to find the meaning and, and that sort of thing. And that said, that was just my first time. So since then I have had the dark experiences. I have had the like, you know, crying uncontrollably and uh, like very dark in the physical sense too, where one of my experiences recently was my whole right side of my, my body and my arm. It wouldn't stop like doing this, like shaking and like flailing. Oh, that's terrifying. Like, for like four hours like it was like just spasming what? yeah yeah spasming and then it would clench and then it would release and then I would get like this image of like um like a past life or something and then I would cry and it was like oh I'm like releasing like trauma or like stored shit in my body from lifetimes and it's it's stuff that 
like if you haven't done it and experienced something in that realm, it sounds absurd. And you're like, lifetime, what are you talking about? You know, you like have to just, you just have to like do it to understand the level of how bizarre it feels and how real it is all at the same, all at the same time. But yeah, it's not, it's not always, um, you know, butterflies and, and lovey-dovey feeling. It's, it's often more of the, it's, it's a very dark feminine medicine. It's a very like, we're going into the shadows for six hours, like get ready type right. of. And a lot of people use it to work through trauma or to work through some of the deeper rooted kind of darkness that they carry um, because of that. It's, it's less, less like a, um, you know, psychedelic, like a Molly trip or something, you know, obviously where that's like very sort of meant to be lighthearted and done for fun. This is not that. Right. So if we're going to the shadows and you're going to, it doesn't matter. Like you said, you're along for the ride, right? Like you're going to see something or you're going to feel something that you've probably spent most of your life trying to avoid. Yeah. And they do often in, in like retreats, they'll do three nights of ceremony and they talk about the arc of experience. So usually your first night is sort of an introduction. She comes in and she sort of does a diagnostic and isn't normally a super intense experience. Not always. Um, the second night usually is the most intense, the most um, cathartic, the, the darkest, right? Quote unquote. Not that that's ever bad because it's always what you're supposed to be getting, um, but the most uncomfortable probably. And then a lot of people want to give up after the second night because they're like, fuck that. I'm not going back there. And then the third night is typically like the, the like cuddles, you know, it's like you get sort of like a, an understanding of what the first few nights were a little bit more of the love feeling. And um, there is sort of a, a profound arc to, to doing three ceremonies in one time. Yeah. I think it's really great to give our listeners that framework and, and for me to learn also about how involved it is and, and where it all comes from. Um, in our next segment, we'll talk a little bit more about the principles of shamanism um, and talk about cutting the cord, uh, the, the title of our of our episode here, um, and some of the work that, that you do. Um, so for those listeners, if you're enjoying what we're saying, uh, please like us on Facebook, share it on everything, LinkedIn, we're on Instagram, we're on, we're on all this stuff, do all the socials. It really helps to, you know, get this information out there. Um, it's free. It's accessible. We, you know, we tell some jokes along the way, right? Um, anything that you can do to help us um, as this podcast is getting launched would be really appreciative. So stay tuned and we'll catch you on the other side of the break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. 
This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C, dash, azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot, teachable.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and we're talking about plant medicine, ayahuasca, uh, reaching the spirit realm, shamanism, a lot of really interesting topics here. Uh, Brie, I would love to learn more about cutting the cord, about some of the ceremony that you do, how you've integrated these experiences into your professional work. Um, Tell listeners about that. Yeah. Um, So through plant medicine, it really sort of opened my eyes to a type of spirituality, right? Like growing up, um, I just remember going to church and falling asleep, you know, and it was like, Oh, we have to, like, it wasn't something that ever resonated in the, in the Western sense of going to church. Right. Um, and so I had been missing for such a period of my life, this like connectedness to something greater than myself or any sort of practices or rituals or anything that sort of like kept you sane and knowing that you didn't have to control everything. Like there was, there was a higher power. Um, and so the, the plant, the working with ayahuasca and sort of getting more into that realm of things, um, opened me up to being open, I guess, to taking a course on shamanism and sort of what, what is this spiritual practice? What, cause I, I knew what a shaman was cause the shamans were the ones who were pouring the medicine. Right. But shamanism is, is a spirit. It's one of the oldest forms of spirituality. Um, and actually it's found across the world in different tribes and different, um, continents. Like it's, it, it can be seen as sort of the roots of a lot of our modern day, uh, spiritual practices. And so really at the basis of what shamanism is, is it's, it's understanding and appreciating that everything has consciousness and everything has medicine in it. So nature, um, like the tree that you see at the morning, like the, the flower, the bee that flies by, the spider that walks across your floor, like all of them are bringing a message or bringing some sort of, they call it medicine. Like what is this, what is this medicine that I need? Why am I seeing the spider today? Why didn't I see it yesterday? You know? Um, and instead of being afraid of the spider, seeing it as like, oh, this is a, a divine feminine message. It's a message of, creativity and abundance and things are coming to me, right? Like spiders weave their web and sort of like, just wait for this, their, their food to come, their, their nourishment to come. Um, and so they have, you know, I think animal spirits or spirit animals, if people are more familiar with of like, you know, when you see a 
eagle or you see a deer, like, what does that mean? Like that comes from shamanism. There's, there's, there's consciousness and meaning and everything. Um, and when you look at the world through that lens, it helps you make meaning of your experiences, right? Like, um, the reason I'm going through this crazy work situation or, you know, this coworker that I can't stand, like it's teaching me something. There's gotta be medicine in the experience. And when we can make meaning out of hard experiences, it helps us not fall into the victimhood of it. Right. And it helps us to, um, be able to use that for growth instead of a reason to stay stuck. So it, it's a lot of, um, understanding that everything has medicine, understanding everything is energetic. So like, you know, we're like 99% energy and 1% matter. We just live in a very dense reality. So we confuse that. We think we, you know, have no influence over our energy or what happens in the quantum or, um, you know, our future selves, our past selves. We think that's all we, we see things very linear because we live in this plane. Um, but seeing that everything has energy and that that energy has the potential to impact your physical experience, depending on how you're using it, right? So if you can tap in and sort of move your energy, move your blockages, they, they talk about blockages in the body being sort of um, how we forget that we're already whole, healed, and complete. And that when we can move those, those blockages of that energy through energy work or guided visualizations or intentional focus, then we remember. So it's this period of like forgetting and falling asleep and remembering and waking up. Um, and so as I was going through this shaman course, I had this name come to mind that was lucid living. And I was like, oh, if we could just live lucidly then we would be aware that we're living and have more impact on our physical because we'd be tapped into the energetic, right? You know, when you have like a lucid dream and you know, you're dreaming and you can, you can change the dream. I was like, why are we not living that way? And so that, that name came in and again, like working with shamanism and seeing everything as a sign or synchronicity or having some sort of meeting, I was like, Oh, that needs to be the name of my business. Like I need to create a business. <laughs> like, um, no intention of doing that when I was taking this shamanism course, I was like, this sounds fun. I, it was right at the start of COVID. So I was like, I could learn some techniques to help myself. Um, yeah. and one Quite of my, would be helpful. Yeah. One of my, um, sh uh, she's so many things, but spirit teacher, dear friend, uh, badass human. She just, I respect and admire her in so many ways. Uh, she was the one that was leading the course. And I was like, duh, like, yeah, I get to hang out with you and a bunch of other cool women. Like, let's do this. Um, and so that's sort of how I got into the course. And then it, there were a few of us from the course that asked her, cause she's also a shamanic practitioner. She's created a business. She does uh, remote healings virtually. So she's done it. And we're like, well, how do we do what you did? And so she then put together another course of how to create, a business doing that. Um, and so we took that and in the matter of a year, I like had created this whole business around how, how, like how I could help and be of support to people who wanted to clear energy or change their narrative or, um, cut the cords is what the, it has sort of turned into. So through working with, 
clients, um, and I have like a 12 week program and I have other, other programs where I was working where cord cutting would come in to play on what we were doing. And the feedback that I was getting was like, oh, the cord cutting was one of my favorite um, sessions. I felt really empowered. I felt like a total detachment. I was able to finally release the pattern or the person or whatever that has been really toxic in my life. Um, I was like, oh, well, I should just do the cord cutting ceremonies as a, its own offering. <laughs> like, um, so it sort of evolved, you know, a little bit from what, what the business uh, started out to be. But what I do right now that's bringing me a lot of joy is these cord cutting ceremonies. Um, and the, the whole basis around it is that we have energetic ties to people. And we also have energetic ties to past versions of ourselves. So, or these patterns, these past patterns that we, that we cling to, that we know, that's sort of our, our coping mechanism, right? So in the, in the um, example of an eating disorder, that could be a, me and my eating disorder would be a past version of myself that it had kept me tethered a little bit from total growth in the right direction, right? Because I was still leaning a little bit towards this, like, I don't feel 100% worthy. I don't feel like, you know, I can give myself the validation I need. I still need it from being smaller and smaller and smaller, right? And even though those behaviors weren't presenting like they were when I was in full addiction, um, it was still like tugging, right? It was still a piece of what was there. So if you're able to cut the cord with those patterns, it helps to free you from your past. It helps to release that version of yourself, not from a place of anger or spite or malice or anything. It's just, you no longer need that because you're moving in a direction where you have different coping mechanisms, you have different intentions. And so it, it frees your energy to not be sort of leaking into that past version of yourself so that you can be totally shored up to, to move in the direction that you want to move in. So, so I guess see how my, that's informed by the ayahuasca, right? About the purgative aspect of that. Yeah, a lot of, I mean, you have to let go in order to receive something new, right? And, and we forget that energetically that has to happen too. So, so you have to, you have to make space. You have to let go of the old so you can make space for things that are going to be more beneficial to you in the now moment. Um, and so working with clients who, you know, have been stuck in toxic relationships or codependency or, um, you know, still relying on men to, you know, sleeping with men to sort of get validation and helping them realize that they have the power to no longer have to do that thing to get the result that they want. Um, and not that you do one cord cutting ceremony and then you're like cured, but it, it opens you energetically to do the work, to take the steps, to change the patterns and to commit to that. Um, and the way that we do a ceremony is it's a guided visualization. So I put them into, through meditation, through into the theta brainwave, um, where your brain is just more malleable. So I like to think about the ego as like this bouncer that like keeps us from 
you know, accessing what we actually feel about something or changing, you know, the, the pathways in our brain. It's like, nope, that's too painful. Nope, we don't, we're not going to go there. Um, and so with plant medicine does the same thing. It sort of removes that, that it gives you better access right to your unconscious. Um, and so with the guided visualization, we get into that brain state and you make these intentions and you make these empowered, um, cuts, right. Of what you no longer need. So it can set you up energetically for what you want to do in the physical. It's like, I already have done that. So it's already familiar. Um, and energetically it just shifts in your world and the world with people that you interact with. Um, oftentimes people will, you know, experience their partners acting different or their parents or whoever. And it's, it's like, yeah, because you're, you're different, like, and it's radiating. So, um, it helps energetically kind of put you in the, the right place to continue the work. Yeah. It sounds like it's like a meaningful step that starts to orient the way that you're seeing and perceiving the world and the way that you're acting. And yeah, I think definitely. like from energetic systems or you know, family systems or organizational psychology, this idea of, yeah, if you change one unit in the system, the whole system has to be organized around it. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. And it puts the control back in your hands, right? It's like, it's such an empowering move to be able to understand that you can control the way that you react and what you choose, the stories that you choose to align yourself with, what you're, you know, what is the narrative that I'm saying that I'm never going to get out of this eating disorder, never going to get out of this toxic relationship. Like, but then you make the choice to actually do that. It's like, it changes what you believe about yourself too. And so really just refocusing our energy and our power to things that are going to help us is, is sort of the basis of how I work with clients. Yeah, I think that really works. You know, I, I'm pretty agnostic on the energy piece. I, I just don't know, right? I'm curious, but yeah. I, I just don't know. But I can say from what I do believe in, right, psychological principles, there is this idea and there's a lot of research to back up the idea that the brain works symbolically, and these like rituals and these ceremonies and these like using metaphor, using song, using, you know, yeah. movement, like that seems to be how the brain processes in a much deeper level than just language. Yeah. Yeah. And being able to, especially if there's been a lot of self-hate around ways that you've been in the past, like I've worked with people who, you know, are, are moving out of addiction as well. Right. And there's a lot of everything that's tied in with that. But when you cut the cord, you cut it from a place of love. Like it's, it's for the highest and best for you as your past self and you as your present and future self. So there's no self hate involved in it. It's all like, it's all very uplifting and a way to, um, to put a new image to what you had originally categorized as this horrible person or horrible version of yourself. It's, it, with the imagery, it's like, oh, now I can see that as my hurt little girl, you know, it's, that was acting in a way that she, the only way she knew. And there's a lot of understanding. There's a lot of forgiveness in, in it as well. Yeah. It sounds like it's a really great way to mitigate shame. And I have this image of, you know, like sending a boat off to sea or something, right. It's not about yeah. like killing something. It's more about releasing it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. As, as a wrapping up, Bree, uh, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you, more about uh, Lucid Living? Yeah. So Instagram, I am uh, Lucid Living with Bree, and on Facebook, the same Lucid Living with Bree, and it's B R E. 
Um, and then my website is just my name. So Brie Walta, B-R-E-W-O-L-T-A.com. Uh, and I have all my services and offerings listed on there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, for those listeners out there, if you'd like to give any feedback about this episode, if you want to contact Bree, you can also email us uh, at podcast at mark-azley.com. That's podcast at m-a-r-c-a-z-o-u-l-a-y.com. I'll pass on anything uh, over to Bree um, if you want to have her back on another episode or you have any questions for her after this podcast. Um, thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you next week on From the Ashes with more stories of triumph and defeat. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same. <laughs>